Reopening your restaurant comes with great responsibility. Are you doing everything you can to keep your staff and guests safe? With Trust20 certification, you and your guests can feel confident you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. Trust20 is home to the new standard of restaurant safety and consumer comfort. By becoming a Trust20 certified restaurant, diners will know the practices you follow to create a safe and healthy environment. Have confidence you're going above and beyond minimal requirements. Have comfort knowing your practices have been independently verified. To learn more, visit trust20.co. That's trust, the number 20.co. Trust 20 restaurants have access to a suite of resources that include expert-led training in four key areas, individual consultants, communication material, and signage. For National Restaurant Radio listeners, now through the end of August, you get free certification when you visit trust20.co and tell them you heard about them on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Trust 20, partnering with you to keep everyone safe. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City. And welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. And we have got another amazing show for you this week. We are going to stick with the barbecue theme, and we are going to be speaking with the one and only Pat Martin of Martin's Barbecue, as well as Hugh Babies. And uh, we we talk a good bit about a lot of stuff, you know, mainly uh, about how he started his company kind of about how he operates his company and then kind of how he's managing throughout COVID-19. I think he has the most restaurants of anybody that we've interviewed so far with, I think he has 14 restaurants. So it's really just kind of one of those things I was fascinated to talk to him about and he really opens up and I feel like he was vulnerable and it was just a wonderful, wonderful conversation with a great man. And um, I'm glad you're here to, to hear it. We've got a big rest of the week tomorrow. We've got Stephen Smithing. He is the owner of Green Hills Grill and Mare Bowl as a bonus episode. And then Thursday, uh, we are going live at 3.30 with the Roundup. And our special guest host this week is going to be Chris Chamberlain, food and drink writer for the Nashville scene. He'll be joining Delia, Joe Ramsey, and myself. So that show will be live on Facebook at 3.30 tomorrow. You will not want to miss it. We've got a couple of special guests coming on the show. Uh, maybe even a special announcement of some breaking news. So we'd love to hear, I'd uh, love to have you on that. So if you want to leave some comments, if you want to ask Chris Chamberlain any questions, ask us any questions, jump on the live feed um, on Thursday, 3.30. We, uh, we want to talk a little bit right now about Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. You know they're the best out there, and um, they would love for you to join the flock. If you'd head over to SpringerMountainFarms.com, uh, you can enter your email address and you can join the flock. Which you enter your email, you will get emails, recipes, farm updates. They have podcast updates, all kinds of cool stuff that you will get right to your inbox. Uh, please go out right now if you can. Go to the NashvilleScene.com. Vote for Nashville Restaurant Radio for best podcast. It's under the Media and Politics section. Best podcast, Nashville Restaurant Radio. And um, that's all the announcements. Let's jump right into this episode with Pat Martin. All right, so welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. We are here with Pat Martin. I could not be more excited 
to uh, to talk to you, get a little deeper, and kind of learn all about you and your uh, your concept. So thank you for being here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You know, it's um, Happy to be here. one of the questions we're asking people right now is just a how you doing? I mean, not in like a hey, what's up? What's up? Like, like how are you doing? How are where's your mental health right now? Um, you know, it's we're kind of. I don't want to say numb to it, but uh, you know you're used to it now. So uh, I'm not say I'm doing all right, but I'm doing all right. You know, I mean we're just coping, just getting through it. I got us back on both of my brands uh, to where we're not losing money. We're not really making any money. Nobody's making money right now, but uh, not losing money is the new victory. So <clears throat> that's that's what we've got to do. So I'm, I'm happy in that sense. That's good. I went to dinner with my wife. It's her birthday this past weekend, and we um, were on the way there, and I was wearing this, you know, we have our masks and everything, we're going, but it felt almost normal. There's a while where you go to the store, and you had to make sure you have all your <laughs> stuff, and your sanitizer, and it was this whole, do I have all my stuff? And then we were driving to dinner with the Bastion the other night, we're driving to dinner, and I was like, this, this almost feels normal. Like, I'm, we have, we know what to do when we get there, put our masks on, we're gonna do the whole thing, like, yeah. do you think that's where we're headed? Uh, permanently, um, I think there'll be definitely some permanence of some things, but um, I would like to hope that we're not headed towards this is the the definite new normal. No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be interesting when we go back to like a grocery store and you're not wearing a mask, and that's going to feel weird. Like when you're not it's definitely going to feel weird. It's going to feel weird to go to a restaurant. Yeah. And sit in close proximity with somebody at a table, and nobody's wearing a mask, and nobody's uh, truly concerned. That'll be that'll definitely be weird. Or a concert, a definite concert. What's the number one thing right now that you're missing? Like, if there's one thing, sports, sports. What sport in particular? Sports. Just in general. <laughs> Listen, I would watch the Myanmar volleyball team <laughs> play right now. If it was in a. If it was in a uh, heated tournament, but yeah, no, I mean, it's been good that baseball wants to come back, but that's weird, you know, but you just, uh, you realize, or I have realized those little things, like just games, like, it's not that I was like, I'm not some, I mean, I'm a sports fan, but I'm not a junkie, I don't just go home just to watch games, watch games, but, you know, sports center and just keeping up with who's in positioning themselves for playoffs, I don't care the sport, those are big things, you know, it's, it's and, then, and then eating at restaurants. Short-lived hockey season we had. Um, are you a very competitive person? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, sports being a, a big part of it. When you heard Tony Galson, he was like, the number one thing has sports. I gotta get sports back. Yeah. And I, I certainly miss it too. But there's a side of it that is interesting because I, I watch, I record every single Predators game and I watch sports like crazy. But I, on the other hand, like, have kind of found other things during this time to fill my time other than sports, like podcasts or books or whatever it is. Is there anything that you've... Masterclass. So have you been watching the masterclasses? Yeah. Do you have a subscription to it? I've never met anybody who actually did it. Yeah. Just Which, do it. Just do it? Yeah, just do it. Who's... Uh, I jump around, man. I've... Uh, I mean, obviously, I started watching all the, the culinary shows first. And shockingly, Gordon Ramsay is captivating. Really? Yes. He is not like, it's, uh, I don't know him. Uh, I don't even know if he and I have ever met, but 
you know, the TV Gordon Ramsay and the, the teacher Gordon Ramsay, he is he is a wildly talented chef. But you imagine that there's a side of the TV anybody that has to be that that's that's what that's what gets the news is when you yell and scream at people like to, it does to get to that point you have to be incredibly talented and know what the hell you're talking about yeah that's right so that's right imagine he's very damn sharp yeah you should watch him but then watch all the other ones too the non culinary stuff like it's all <clears throat> I mean you know did you watch the FBI negotiator one yet. I just started that. That dude, I watched that and he's like, when you interview people, if you nod and go, yes, while they're talking, yeah. they'll talk more. And I'm yeah. like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I just started, that's that's a good example of what I'm saying, like just start watching the other ones. And then definitely Netflix docs, you know, like abstract, I love abstract. Like yeah. I just can't watch it. I hope, they, I hope that never goes off. I hope they have seasons for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, I haven't watched that. It's incredible. I'm going to have to get into it. And the, the ones that you don't think are going to be incredible, like this lady who did cast or uh, costume design specifically for African-American movies, specific to Spike Lee. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was like, I'm not costumes. Like, I'm, I don't know what I'm about costumes. And it just started playing while I was distracted doing something else. And I ended up like, the show was amazing. She's amazing. Do you? Because I, I love stuff like that. I love watching how it's made, like the behind the scenes. Yeah. Wow. I never. And, and do you? Do you? Are you attracted to talent? Yeah. Do people that? Do, it doesn't matter what somebody does. If somebody's passionate about something and they do it really well, do you immediately respect them? I do. I at least respect the talent. Yeah. I'm like that too. I, I just I find people that are incredibly passionate about something and do it really well. I just I'm I'm gravitated towards that. Yeah. But I'm equally on the other side. If somebody just doesn't put towards any effort, I immediately I'm like, yeah, hundred percent. And that's a flaw of mine. I just I, I don't know go, that it is a flaw. Like it's just you know it's life, man. If you don't want to have any passion, because there are people that haven't found their passion. There's a difference in I haven't found my passion. And I just don't really care about having passion. I don't have patience for this group. So you gotta be passionate or just get out of my way. So this is a good transition into barbecue. And not barbecue, but you start Martin's Barbecue in Nolansville. You have one employee, Bo, and you're gonna grow, but you start hiring people. Come on, I gotta try these big, these green beans. Taking our bones and making a stock with it. Sorry. No, you're good. Hold on, Josh. I can't tell you if they're any good. Josh! <laughs> can't tell him what I think about it if he walks out of here. I don't want the pork, I want the juice. Good. But what I was saying was, there's a there's a side of that I want to know about you because you're one. Of, I've interviewed a lot of local independent restaurateurs. You've successfully grown into multiple locations and over two different um, concepts. So one of the things you've had to do really well is identify talent and identify the type of people that you want to hire. And so you had success at Martin's in Nolansville, but then you've grown. How have you done that? 
Well, a couple things. I didn't get into this to grow. I just opened up Martin's because I had a passion for barbecue. I learned how to cook barbecue from a man named Harold Thomas when I went to college in West Tennessee 30 years ago. And um, I got into it because I love to cook. <clears throat> uh, but I do enjoy what I do now and it, it just kind of, I'm very opportunistic and it just kind of evolved. And um, I knew that I, I felt confident about my food and I felt confident about my brand and what I was, the, my generation of the South at the time that I was trying to reflect, you know, which is everything from the music to sports stuff on the wall. You know, there's yeah. pictures of Magic and Larry out there, like, you know, and so, um, <clears throat> but I knew I didn't know anything about running a restaurant. And so I met this guy, Mike Bodner, who ended up being my mentor and I partnered with Mike and uh, he eventually went on and formed Fresh Hospitality here in town and some, you know, some entities have jumped on board with him. And, but Mike was very instrumental in teaching me the daily disciplines of running a business and approaching it from a mindset of an executive and <clears throat> taking being discipline on how we run each shift, like cleaning your facility, cleaning your equipment, cleaning your station, a lot of checklists, just nothing. There's none of it that's rocket science. It's just about getting everything, uh, your daily, you do the same thing every day and you got to do it better today than you did yesterday. At the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to. And so labor models and how to philosophically approach your cost of goods, the section, you know, your supply, your food and your, your labor, labor, in my opinion, being the most impact you can have on your business, uh, your P and L. Anyway, there was that, and then I just evolved. I read, I, I do have ADD, bad. I mean, everybody throws that word out like they do migraines. Like, oh, I have a bad headache. I have a migraine. It's made for us in this business. It's like, dude, you, if you had a migraine, you wouldn't be here. So you'd be in a hospital, so shut up, or be at home, you know? So I can't read well. I can read, but I after a paragraph. So it's, it's hard for me, and I tried to read a lot of books just on how different coaches led leadership. And I evolved. <clears throat> I was very um, heavy-fisted on my first restaurant because it could not fail. I mean, it was just no, yeah, you know. And um, you know, you start learning through a type of maturity that you don't get from age or whatever your birthday was last year, uh, just through experiences. And you learn those soft skills and how to evolve and become a better leader. And so, I could not have scaled the way I did had I not <clears throat> come to terms with my own leadership inefficiencies and consciously try to park those aside and grow out of some of those and gain new efficiencies to leadership to grow. So you started Martin's in Millensville. Uh, <coughs> October of 06. Gangbusters. First days, there's a line of people out the door. You started doing a great job. Was there a moment when you when you and Mike did Mike was Mike with you from the very beginning? Oh no, I didn't partner. I opened in 06. Mike and I partnered in 2010. Oh wow! So there's so you're way down the line. So, what was there? A, you you do everything yourself. There's a side of you who you are that you've trained people in each location. I read this about you that you want to personally be involved with creating your culture and identifying your work. I want to show you how this is done. I want to take a personal touch, but you can't do that once you get to fifty locations. Can um, you? Well, I'm not headed to fifty. Uh, I, I know that much, and uh, at least for Martin's. Um, the the answer to that is is you're wrong. You can I don't know about fifty, but I know at ten, 
I have a very close friend of mine who came on board and is my COO, John Hare. And John is, uh, I called him the other day, human Ritalin for me because I'm real good at this first spot of birthing a brand, getting the culture right, telling you as a guest what the, what the brand is, what I'm trying to portray. And it wouldn't just be barbecue. I, can, I'm, I know I'm pretty good at this stuff sure. for whatever I want to serve. <clears throat> and, and I'm good at the 36,000 foot view. It's the stuff in the middle and John is a very great yin yang for me that we can collaborate on plans and put a plan together and directive and I can hold him accountable but he just makes it all connect. So when did you bring having him? somebody like him, I brought him on almost coming up on three years I believe. Okay. Having somebody like John enables me to get back in here with the guys and work with them. Like literally man on how to when to flip cornbread or hoe cake. Like there's a there it's just not something you can just put in some training man. No, you know, but and then I don't even get into the barbecue part of it. That's a whole other apprenticeship skill. That is definitely what is I have to teach that. When I stop teaching that, this hits the ditch. Did, did, I guess what I was asking is: Is there a time that you felt like you were moving farther away from that, where you weren't able to be as hands-on, yeah. and that's when you when kind of said, "I need more people," and you bring the right people? And Bill Newman yeah. yesterday said. I was. I got to a point where I needed a number two. I had to get a number two that I trusted, and once I did, I was able to get back to the thing that made me original. What originally started Edley's. And so for you, was there a point where you just started? You had too much stuff, and you said, "I got to have a number two. Yeah, it was, guy, to that point. it was. It was around. So Mike and I partnered in ten. This guy I went to college with, named Chris Kaiser. Uh, he was at Bosco's, and he. Uh, I ended up wooing Kaiser to come. He's from West Tennessee, so he knows the culture of West Tennessee whole hog barbecue. And that was very important to me. <clears throat> I didn't really, you know, I really hired Kaiser for that reason, and I needed a manager. Yeah. And um, what he did was he enabled me to leave Nolensville and go open up Mount Julia. He stayed, he came on, worked for about a year or so, then I went up, that was, Mount Julia was the second store in the market we opened. And Kaiser, kept the home fires burning while I was up here trying to figure this thing out. And then we opened up Belmont, same thing. He kept the fort down because Nolan's was the brand, yeah. you know? And um, he was my, he's my original number two. He still isn't, you know, I don't look at him as number twos, but you know, my right hand guy sure. besides John, because Kaiser runs Hugh Babies now and does an extremely unbelievable job. Hugh Babies is incredible, by Thank the way. You. Um, I don't know if we're ready to get into Hugh Babies yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm down. I've been wanting to tell you this story. Go ahead, whatever you want to talk about. We've had uh, this pandemic. We went to California uh, because I have grandparents. My grandfather turned 90 yesterday. And uh, we went to California to visit him before my kids started school. Three-day trip. And of course, the first thing we do, first place we ate as a family was Hugh Babies during the pandemic. We drove to the drive-thru. <laughs> On uh, Charlotte, Thanks, we man. went across the street to the park and sat in the parking lot with the kids, and we all had Hugh Babies together. And it was a moment; it was a family that I'll never forget. Thanks, that Hugh Babies was a part of. Derek's a really good friend of mine too over there. Um, and uh, we get to California. We rented a, a Jeep. It was awesome. We drive. First thing we got to do is go to In and Out because yeah. damn it, it's In and Out. We're in, yeah, we're in, in out, California. Man. We got to go do it, right? I'm the right, grew up. I'm in. 
we, we pull in line that's longer than Chick-fil-A. They've got the whole thing. They're so on point with everything they do. Yeah. You go through the line, we get the food, we do the same sort of experience. We pull into the parking lot, and I sit down, and I'm like, in and out, here we go. And I take a bite, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's exactly as I remember it. My wife goes, this doesn't taste like it always did. And I said, what do you mean? And the kids, are, the kids have the hammers in the back seat, and they go, we hate it. And they said, <laughs> this is blasphemy. Like, what are you? This is in and out. Five and six year old, five and seven year old boys is what I have. And they go, this is the exact word they said. They go, we like you babies. We like you babies. And I went, but this is in and out. And they That's go, flattering. Man. We don't care. We like, and my wife goes, I'm with them, dude. Like, you babies is a lot better than this. And I went, I hate to agree with you, but it is. It is better. And I still like In and Out. I'm an In and Out fan. In and Out is what it is. It's great. I Huge love In and Out. But I think that we've completely been converted as far as quality and what we like to Shoe Babies is better. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. How long has that been a dream? And when did Shoe Babies like come about for you? Or like we're gonna do this? Um, Cliff Notes is, is I would ride around. Mike and I every now and again would go around looking for real estate and. Uh, I don't know if Mike's ever seen a piece of real estate he didn't love. And they, they weren't, a lot of them weren't Martins. Like, no, no. And because I'm a gut feel guy. And, but a lot of them were good sites, uh, but they didn't fit for a Martins. And so I'm looking at like some other spots in town that are on the fast food spectrum of barbecue, so to speak. And I say fast food, I mean, I still identify fast food as its actual mechanical definition, meaning there's no service in front of us. Fast food now has become a, a moniker for crappy food, as we all know. Yeah. And I had this, I don't know if I've still got it, I had this romantic dream on the side note here of <laughs> saving that word from itself, basically, and like, no, fast food is doesn't mean it's bad. It just you know? means it's food that's prepared in a way which you can not wait 30 minutes. That's right. And so uh, QSR is now the sexy word they use for it. But at any rate, um, you know, some of these brands were doing pretty big numbers and they weren't serving very good food, you know. And, um, and I just saw it as an opportunity to go in on, you know, I'm not a big chef-driven burger fan, the big eight-ounce burgers with all the stuff on it. Like, I don't like anything. I believe in balance. Uh, in everything and that it starts with size you know and if I have to wrestle something from a sandwich any sandwich I don't care if it's a pastrami sandwich and cats in New York or I don't care what it is then I'm not going to enjoy it as much I want something I can manage so I you know everybody talks about the smash burgers as if California invented them they did not they were all over America and you know I wanted this brand to speak to I was born in Memphis and I wanted to speak to the Mid-South over there. And um, our, our family, our family's off in Corinth, Mississippi, is about 65 miles out of Memphis. So, you know, I birthed the brand. And uh, it's, it, it was, it's, a, it's a real passion, you know, just to execute that food. That's where most people get it wrong is, you're not gonna find a, we call it a space, pizza space or the hamburger space or the barbecue space or, deli space or whatever they're all crowded yeah there's no well, I'm gonna go open this up because there's not a lot of people making this and that's the, the difference is, is that most people just don't want to execute 
literally on an hourly basis to a, a really high level. They settle. And when I start settling, that truly is like, that's not a romantic statement. Like that's when I know I gotta hit the door. Cause when I'm just like, yeah, they can serve that reading pork, I don't really care. Uh, then I, then it's it. Yeah. Nobody reinvented the wheel on hamburgers or barbecue. Like I don't have some special, I just cook, I cook hogs the exact same way Harold Thomas taught me, except I flip them at six hours now and not 12. It's the only difference I do. It's not, I don't know anything anybody else doesn't know. Well, it's just how you care for it once it comes out. It's interesting that you say, you know, it's not the big, when you start getting into this crazy thing, and it's, it's almost, it's quality, right? So it's, it's, I think about like with drinks, right? So if you had this gigantic burger, that's this nine burger tall, it's kitschy. And it's like, that's not a good hamburger. Nobody likes to eat that. It's hard, it's messy. It's not a good burger. Uh, it's almost like that drink if somebody says, make it really, really strong. Like, well, margarita with like 90% tequila and a little bit doesn't taste good. No. And if you make something that just tastes like craft cocktails that taste really good, that's made really well, it doesn't have to be over the top either way. If you just make a consistent burger that tastes really good. And every time I've been to Hugh Babies, one of the things that is amazing, because there's, there's a handful of places in town that does not matter which one I go to. They've been to multiple Hugh Babies. Every time you walk in the door, it's clean. I mean, clean. Not clean like, oh, this place is clean. Like, they're intentional with how well they keep it, and it's amazing. And you notice it. The people look professional. Like, there's a, there's a, they walk in and they're, they're, everything is intentionally done. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And it's, oh, that makes sense because that's what, yeah. But it's, but it's, it's palpable. Like, it's noticeable that there's intention behind everything that you're doing. Nothing is done by accident. It's not like one guy came in and he was really good and you go somewhere and the, the, the cashier is really personable and like, oh, that person's really good. Like, everybody's nailing it. And I think Jay Alexander's does a really good job with this. Just consistent, high-level service. You know what you're going to get when you walk in every single time. Post-pandemic, first time I went to Hugh Babies, they had the thing they handed out that was completely touchless. They did such a great job. And I was like... That was Kaiser. Me? Kaiser really handled that. I didn't even the, the COVID stuff, especially with that brand. Uh, Hugh Baby's kind of led Martins in that, in a sense. And I give Kaiser credit uh, for that. Like he recognized immediately that we needed to go touchless, and was like, "Oh yeah, why don't I think about that?" You're right, and we do. And then you know, John and I would talk about how to get that over here at Martins, and it was you know sharing best practices. But yeah, thank you. We we do make a conscious effort to. You know, man, you got to just keep a clean facility, smile and be nice to your guests, and make your food as best as you can make it. Those three things build volumes. I don't care if you're a chef-driven restaurant. I don't care if you're a fast food hamburger place like I'm trying to get off the ground. That drives volumes. People in the restaurant business screw up because they chase the volume. They don't understand what got the volume there in the first place. Okay, so they make decisions. What I call is they make decisions based on a P&L not on pride. And when they make decisions on a PL, that's a defensive nature inherently. So what you're doing is you're like, okay, well, to get more volumes, I need to save money here. And don't get me wrong, it's important to keep cost controls and, of course. and try to find places you can save money. <clears throat> but you don't approach your business, your end product from a standpoint of how to save the money. That's not a good strategy. Right, so you've got to find a got to make the best, in this case, you babies, the best cheeseburger I can make at a fair price. 
and I've got a hammer that cheeseburger every time because there's a lot of cheeseburgers you, you can go anywhere and go get cheeseburger. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, those three things, man. I am just super psychotic about those three things, and I it'll never be clean enough for me. The burger will never be good enough for me. I don't bitch at them. I do, on the, I do on the cleanliness stuff. I do on the clean, the little things I, I get mad. The big things I don't ever, you can't, cannot get me mad over something big. Wreck, have a fire in a pit room. Or you oh, wreck, sure. You, know, yeah, yeah. you wreck a catering van or whatever, but you know, man. Dirty if, bathrooms. If you're going to overlap the freaking pickles after I've told you they cannot overlap and they only get three pickles on a cheeseburger because it's important that the guest has the same bite every time until they've exhausted the, the, the burger. I don't want the goddamn things to overlap. Don't overlap them. That's the stuff that that gets me pissed. So I, I, I'm you're, we're speaking you're speaking my love language right now because I'm a fan of like if I clearly communicate to you what my expectations are and you don't do them, that's disrespect. Because I'm clearly communicating. I'm not wishing at home that I want the three pickles to be this way. I'm clearly telling you I want these pickles this way. There's no secret there. What are your what are your core values when you're when you hire somebody? Somebody comes on. What type of training do they get? They get extensive training, but if we just be honest with ourselves, I mean, it's the freaking restaurant business. And this is a good conversation piece to go back to what I said earlier about my leadership style. That I've I grew up in a sense of learning. I've got to win the war. I've got to quit worrying about winning every single battle. There you go. And so I just move on from people. If you don't want to take on my standards, you don't want to meet my standards. And honestly, man, I mean, we, we do, we move on from folks quite a bit. Um, but it's the restaurant business and the restaurant business, man, is beautiful because it's a lot of people who are in a period in their life where, you know, maybe they're young and their parents make them get a job or they're in a period of their life where they just haven't really figured out what it is they want to do, whether they have a degree or not. Uh, and then there are some folks that just love the restaurant business and stay in the restaurant business. Um, you know, in all three of those, there's just some people that just lack the ambition to, they're just there to get a check. They don't care about the stupid pickles pack. You know, and they don't tell me that, but it shows up in their actions. And, you know, I make it a point. Uh, I, I work with them. And a lot of times they do, they, they really do want to do right. Even though they're trained to not overlap those pickles, they're trying to get it out fast and they get in a rush. So they, I tell them, it's okay to slow down. It's okay if it's five more seconds to get it to them, just do these right. But you know, some people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone now. There you go. And those guys end up soon. They, they don't last. They don't last. No. Mm. So you've got, how many restaurants do you have now? We've got 10 Martins. We're going to open up uh, Hendersonville at some point. Uh, not this year. Uh, and then we've got uh, Hugh Babies here. How many Hugh Babies do you have? There's three here. We licensed one to West Virginia Unit Sodexo, and they re-upped on it this year. So I don't know if they'll keep re-upping on that or not, but they see how good a job they do. 14 restaurants? Yeah. 14 restaurants. You have three children, a wife, in the middle of a pandemic. How do you find balance in life? You mentioned earlier, you find balance in everything. How do you juggle all that? I'm not right now. 
Some days are better than others and all that, and I'm not doing a woe is me at all. It's just that you just, I get up every day and it's like, you yeah, don't, you don't, yeah, you don't know uh, what fires are going to come up today that you're already, you already have this list of fires you're trying to figure out which one to prioritize. And then throughout the day, another one, two, three, four, five will pop up. Some of them are big, some of them are small. And then, Adapting to whatever phase we're in now, adapting to how Williamson County thinks about our phases, and you know, we ought not to have to wear a mask. And then up here, it's it's I'm not coming here if everybody's not wearing a mask, and it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, and I'm for the mask, by the way. Uh, do people in Williamson County get upset if you guys are wearing a mask? We've had, yeah, we've had. It's not just Williamson. There's a handful of Davidson, but Williamson County's a a redder. Of course, uh, voting county, and so yeah, there's. It's not as bad over the past month, but for a while, long time, man, it was like we'll come back when you don't make us wear a mask. And then the other side of that is, is the real left-leaning progressives will come in and see a line cook who's not wearing a mask. And the fact is, is that we had to start swapping guys out because they can't breathe. They literally the. The hot, but it's the grease that's evaporating off fills their mask up and they literally start overheating. And there's nothing going to live on that surface anyway. If it's over, nothing's been proven to live over 140 degrees. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, you just try to find balance, man, and try to get out front of it and explain to people like, listen, don't fault me because I'm trying to keep you safe. And by the way, I'm trying to keep my employees safe first. I mean, that's got to be your number one priority. I ain't going to feel bad about that either. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. Hmm. Well, I just, you know, I, I, it's unenviable. I mean, there's, there's two sides that I think that people have this perception that there's this guy whose name is on the restaurant, Pat Martin, and he's got, he's got all these restaurants. He's got all this money. There's this whole perception. And you go, well, no, he's a real guy that wakes up every single day who's a dad, who's a husband, who has all of these employees he's looking out for and is just like everybody else trying to figure out every single day what's going on. I mean, I don't know if that perspective is shared as much as I'd like it to be. I mean, it's not, you know, and it just, there's something like money's relative, man. I mean, I've, if I told you the amount of debt my name is attached to right now and, and my income has gone down 90% personally. Yeah. And because I'm, we're not making distributions, you know, and I, and I pay myself a, a, a fair salary, but it's not, I'm not the highest paid guy in this, in this brand. I can tell you that. Let me start there. So it's money's relative, you know, and, and I don't have contrary to heard some belief out there that fresh hospitality is over here. They've never been a bank to me. They've never given me a dime and I've never asked for one and they're not a bank now. And Mike and I sat down and partner. He said, I'm, I'll never be your bank. And I appreciated that because that's, I'm a tough love. I, that's what I want. My dad, you know, so this is all like, this is uh, keeping your powder dry and cash is king and getting through this thing right now. And it's freaking hard, man. Like, it is hard. I don't care how many restaurants I've got. Like that doesn't mean shit. No, I've, from all of the different chefs and people I've interviewed, there's a lot of times we talk off microphone and there's just a, this is hard, dude. Like I'm, genuinely scared like this if we didn't get ppp money 
we'd be in a lot of trouble. We wouldn't be here, you know, and I don't. That's a whole other podcast you should do is how people, uh, I'd saved mine. I'm going to take it as a loan. Like I said, keep the powder dry. Yeah. Um, because when it came out, if you just use it just to bring your employees back and you know dang well, first a lot of them didn't want to come back because they were getting 600 bucks, but if they did come back, you're just paying them to pay them, but you know, right about the time PPP came out is when we all, as a society, started figuring out, this thing's not going away in a couple months. No. And so what happens when that PPP money runs out? I'm just gonna have to furlough that employee again and then they're screwed again. I mean, really it was just a trade-offs. I mean, the government can pay them or you can pay them. But you get PPP money, they can stay on unemployment and the government will pay them or you can bring them back and then you can pay yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of let the government pay them and I'll keep this money at a 1% loan, you know. Well, it wasn't that we, we brought them all back. We've got pretty much everybody back. But you couldn't just do it just because you had this money sitting here. You still had to be fiscally responsible because if you didn't, if you weren't fiscally responsible, there won't be a brand there for them to come back eventually anyway. I think that is the thing I think that a lot of people forget. But that's a big burden for you. It's a huge burden. I mean, just in a daily basis, everything that you're doing, the idea that you, on your shoulders, have to employ, how many employees do you have? Uh, with Martins, it's around 500 and change, and uh, upper 500s, and Hugh Babies is uh, about 120, I'm guessing, somewhere in there. So, I mean, you're talking 600, 700 people? Yeah. That you uniquely employ, that you need to keep this place open, and you're responsible for, that's, it's a heavy burden. It is. I don't think a lot of people really truly understand. If you're not in a restaurant business, if you're not a restaurateur, you don't understand. I mean, you know, there was, there was, a, there's a, either a restaurateur, or even if you're a chef, but if you're not, if you don't actually have skin in the game, there's no way for you to understand it. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people talk about the entrepreneurial spirit and the actually going to the bank and signing like the guts it takes to go and sign that paperwork. Like until you've gone, put your house as collateral on something. That's what I did. You don't get to talk. That's right. Like that's kind of my take on it. And hearing people talk about like, this is, I could lose my house. You go, this is real for them. This isn't a, how come they're not going to hire me? Or I want to like, no, no, this is everything to them. They sign on the dotted line. They're all in. Man, when I was at Freed Artiman, I dreamed this brand up in my dorm room and just thought I would do it when I was in my 50s after I'd made money trading bonds. It didn't work out that way. But, I mean, my idea was so stupid that Bancorp South didn't even, I got my loan to Bancorp South because my grandmother, was the old bank of Mississippi, my grandmother was a teller there and my papa did all of his farm loans out of it. Bought all of his seed every year and all that, you know. And uh, I started Martin's, put my house up, 60, they gave me a $65,000 line of credit. And I, that's how I started the entire brand, was off that $65,000 line of credit. So to go back to the burden part, those are experiences that you just can't even really verbalize to somebody for them to ever be able to empathize and understand. Because it's, it's more than just financial, it's your dream. Yeah. And it's your brand and yeah, my name's on the door and that's important, but it's really not. Like, what's really important to me is it's my dream. It was my thing. It's my, it's part of my DNA now. And for that to be on rough waters enough there, especially for two or three weeks when we were down 60% in sales and you're like, this could be it. Like this whole thing could go away. 
And what, what am I gonna do then? You know, I mean, that's a real ass feeling, but. But that's scary. I mean, that that's, I think it gets much scarier than that, especially after the type of success and, and it's out of your control. It's not anything you did. It's nothing you did. It was invigorating a little bit in a weird way because it was total survival mode. And I jumped into restaurants full on, apron on, redid labor plans and um, supplies fill up a lot of space. So I was trying to figure out all kinds of stuff. But that felt like the old days a little bit for me for about a two month period there where it was, I was getting up. I didn't have some event I was doing. I didn't have meetings I was going to do. I was going in the restaurant and we side by side with my crew working shifts and like grinding it out and keeping this thing afloat. But there's scary as piss, but but it energized me. Well, because change my change my outlook on what I want to do with my life too. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, like I told, I'm not trying to grow just to grow. You know, like I don't have some number out there, but you know, I'm 48 years old. What am I growing? What am I? What am I really trying to get? 10 more, 20 more restaurants for what? And so that's where my my mind has shifted more to the values of being at home more and being more time with my kids and uh, you know when is enough enough and all those kind of things like those are all real. I think a lot of people have had this realization that Nashville's been this go-to city for everything and they're just hustling their asses off. I mean this city's been on fire for, for, a, decade. for, for a decade and if you're in this in the hospitality industry your ass has been busy. And I think that when it's arguably the, the biggest bubble in the country too. Yeah, and when when the so it pandemic, just it, it just didn't pop like it popped in every other market. In my opinion in Nashville, it popped really big because it was already inflated, and there's a lot of restaurateurs that aren't that are done for good. Oh yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but no, I was just gonna say I think that when they closed all the restaurants, a lot of people had their first break break, so to speak. Restaurants are closed; you can't do it. They had to go home, and they looked at their wife and went. Hey, our kids are already nine and ten years old. Like, what the hell happened oh, here? True, man. And a lot of people had to look in the mirror and go, "Hey, I'm going to spend time with my kids." For they jump on the trampoline with them and they go throw the football and they go, "Damn, I need to do more of this." There's right. been a lot of people looking in the mirror, and kind of changing kind of the way they did it. I love when you said that when you get back in the restaurant and invigorate you as somebody who's creative and you're creating, right? So you're not just doing a job. It's not like you clock in every morning and clock out. Of the people that are owners at this level, you're creating on a regular basis. You're finding the next thing. You're trying to be a visionary. But sometimes when you just get in there and you do the work, it's pretty satisfying because you kind of get to turn some of that that part of your brain off and get back into it. It's like mowing the yard for me. I love mowing the yard because I get immediate results. You know, I mow the yard and I go, oh, it looks great. Because everything I do, I'm like three, four weeks out, five weeks out, it takes a year to do. But mowing the yard or washing my car takes an hour and I get to immediately see a result and I love that. It's like kind of when you get back in the building and you're doing the work and you kind of go, I did that today. Is it almost yeah, like a, a little bit? It's dynamic? more of, it was, but I was too, I was in such life jacket mode, like, oh shit, because, so I didn't, how can I say it? I was enjoying the focus. It was keeping all the worries out of my head. For a, it's like watching Netflix, like we were talking about earlier. Like, I use Netflix and Masterclass to shut my mind off on everything else. Yeah. And 
when when I got back in on the line and I was really just grinding down like it like I was ten plus years ago, that had that same effect for me. You know, so it was immediate results, but it just but it also created a firewall for me to not. You know, COVID was there; it was overhanging me, but I wasn't focusing on COVID. I was focused on do I <laughs> can I move this freaking flat over here to make this get out the door. 20 seconds faster like I was thinking about all that stuff yeah do you sleep at night yeah I do I do with the help of some Benadryl every now and again <laughs> no yeah. 100% do you, what do you think about when you lay in bed do you can you go right I to bed or do I you lay in bed and think about I stuff I can't do that I will never go to sleep I have to watch a show and fall asleep watching the show okay that's me too I can't I can't just my wife's like just come to bed I'm like then I'll just lay there. My brain's like, oh, did I do this? Did I do that? I gotta do this. I gotta, oh, I it. and I had these ideas in my brain, and I go, I gotta, I gotta turn something on to take my brain out of that, transform it into that, and then it goes to sleep. Yep. I'm just so tired, but then I'll do that. You same thing? Yeah. It's crazy. I'm not, I'm not alone. This no, is amazing. Not, not alone. <laughs> so we're thanks for sharing all that. I mean, that that was a lot. Um, what's your favorite part? What is your favorite part about owning a restaurant, being in this business? Well, um, they're probably cliche, but they're true. Uh, I love the people that help me make this thing happen. So I, I love my crew, love them. And I do really still, like not still, I'll never stop loving trying to get somebody to smile over something that we made. Like that's the essence of being in this whole business. It's not. I mean, listen, man, if you get in the restaurant business because you're thinking about trying to make some living, this romantic notion that restaurateurs, these rich guys and, you know, whatever, <laughs> celebrity chefs, if you get, you're getting into it for the wrong reason. You get into it to try to make other people happy. And we've all heard that. And like I said, it is cliche, but God dang, it's true. It is the truest of the true for what we do. So that's, that's still the most gratifying thing. Somebody being like, man, Holly, you know, had a... Went by your place, had a, got a whole hog sandwich, and got slaw on it, Pat. I know you want me to have slaw on it, yes, and it's freaking great. Yeah, That's the thing. It's West like, Tennessee yes. style. Well, it's like the story I told you about King Baby. It's just that you've got to love hearing that. Like, just that's something do. that we did. I, my first interview I ever did, second interview, Carrie was my first interview uh, in March. I interviewed him on his birthday, March 17th. And I went straight over to Marco, and I interviewed uh, Marco McCormick. And she was almost in tears. This was March 17th. They're closing like the next day or the 19th, I think they closed all the restaurants. And she was just so sad. She was sad because this is how, this is her love language. This is what she does. She goes, I create these dishes and I put it out there for people and I see them enjoy it. And that fills my heart. That's how I find love is I create these dishes and I give it to people like, what am I gonna do that I can't cook food for people? And it was just this, it was heartbreaking because it's like, that's the essence of what you're just talking about. It's like this, we, we do this. That's what fuels We do us. this, man. And whenever you give, you know, if you're like trying to express love to somebody, you're inherently making yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so everything we all do as restaurateurs is very vulnerable because we're trying to make this thing and trying to give, make you happy with it. And in doing that, like it's very exposing. It is. And, and it's, uh, it, it opens up your insecurities and all those things. And for it to go away, especially I have felt for her 
a bunch, and I, I have not reached out to her. I actually keep up with her a lot through Tandy, a lot, or Jason McConnell, but mostly through Tandy. But, um, you know, she got punched with that tornado, and then, voila, 14 days later, we're in this mess, and, yeah. She's the matriarch of the city. She, she is. She's incredible. I need to get back and, and talk to her again now, and we're five months later to kind of see how everything's been going for her because um, she's one of the most authentic people that I've ever talked to. She sure is. All right. Um, well, thank you so much. Anytime, man. What do you want to talk about? Anything you want to say? <laughs> I've, been, I've been kind of leading this thing going through all of this. I don't want to miss anything. No. Uh, I can, I'm just taking your lead, man. We're dancing here, so you just tell me where to twirl. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I am sorry we didn't get to talk about barbecue. I didn't get to say, you know, the same, it was funny, Shane was saying yesterday on the show. He goes, the number one question I get is, you know, how come, what kind of wood do you use? And he's like, we use hickory. So we use that's what we can get a lot of that's not super expensive. And he was going through all the different questions. He said, one of the questions, like when he did, he did a what's the deal, we do a segment on the show that's a kind of what's the deal with. But we spin Delia Joe Ramsey's name into it. And he goes, what's the Delia with people coming into a barbecue restaurant and telling me that they don't like other people's barbecue? He goes, people come in and they go, we used to go to Martin's, but now I come here. And he's like, no, 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 don't stop going to Martin's. Still go to Martin's. We're all friends. We want you to go experience everybody else's stuff. But enjoy mine, but then go also enjoy theirs. We're all different. Like, it's okay I don't know what the, the deal with barbecue is very, I mean, people are passionate about their favorite pizza, their favorite bar, whatever, but there is something about barbecue, man. Shane's right. We're all friends and we all really want everybody to, to do well, like genuinely want everybody to do well. Carrie and I have been buddies for 20 plus years. I mean, we used to sit at the end zone in Green Hills and talk about one day we would open up these barbecue joints. We both had the same thing we wanted to do. We both took different paths. Uh, that we laugh about now, but Shane's right, and I don't know why people feel the need to. Uh, I love your place, so I'm gonna freaking just take a dump on everybody else over here. Like, it's just, no, don't do that. It's, it's okay. so stupid. And there, listen, there are there are um, other cities where that's a real thing, where the where they don't have the camaraderie that we have here in this city. Most of them have good camaraderie, but they're. You know, I know of some places where they're just like, oh, you don't eat there anymore? Yeah, the place does suck, man. Thanks for eating with me. You know, like, and that's a shame. It's really sad. Well, it's one thing that most people who I've interviewed who are from other cities come to Nashville and they go, you know, it's it's crazy because your hospitality community, like, everybody's friends. Uh, Josh Hobbiger was on the show a few weeks ago, and he said uh, when he opened the catbird seat, he was afraid when he's from Chicago and New York and uh, he's been all over but when he opened the catbird seat it was so unique and it was so small and so different there's really nowhere I think there's still innovative across the country for what he did uh, he was afraid that when restaurant people would come in they would be like oh look at you Lottie dog guy over here doing this and he said everybody started coming in and they were like dude this is amazing like giving him high fives and hugs and talking to him he's like what's going on here is nobody there's no competition. Like, no, they all loved it. He goes, and then I knew I was in the right city. He was like, this is where I want to be. Trevor Moran kind of had a similar story. It's like, I love Nashville. This is what I want to do here. Yeah, it was, uh, 
I'd say the past year or two, there's been a little bit of a couple dings on that. There's been some things that, you know, quietly in town, like some chefs have, a lot of them just guys who have come in from out, and they're, they haven't carried themselves very well. Um, but man, back in the day, it was a real romantic period. Like, I opened in 06, and Tandy opened in 07, and Sean had left and gone to Charleston, Tyler took over. You yep. know, Jason McConnell just opened his spot up, and Hal Holden Bay was over at Eastland. Like, it was this, like, golden era, like, of this, we were just all young and trying to make our food, and those guys were insane chefs, and I was just in awe of all of them, because I'm over here just some guy, some moron cooking barbecue. And it, but we instantaneously went without even knowing it, truly. I mean, we talk about this a lot, you know, a couple times a year. We just instantaneously just skipped right over the industry friend part and just became friends. And then our families became friends. Our wives started becoming buddies and it was uh, it was great. And I that mushroomed and grew as other people came in. I remember clear as a bell when Josh and Eric came in and opened Catbird and that was still, but maybe this COVID thing will get some of those, there's probably a handful of folks in town that really don't care whatever that everybody else does well, but most 95% of everybody truly just wants everybody to succeed and yeah. wow their palate. Well, I think if you're in this industry, we all, you know, Jeff Pennington of Pennington Distillery goes on the, he goes, you know what? It's not that, he goes, it hurts us when people don't do well. Because if somebody opens a restaurant that's not good, because if somebody makes a whiskey, or they make a Tennessee whiskey, Jack Daniels will do everything they can to help me because they don't want me to make a bad Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. They want good. They want good people making whiskey. They want all the ships. People drinking the Tennessee whiskey, and if you make a bad Tennessee whiskey and you turn somebody off of Tennessee whiskey, you turn them off of Jack too. So if somebody comes to town, they have bad food here. Ah, Nashville's food scene sucks. Like no, no, no. We all need to do a great job. We all want to support each other because all these people coming in are what to support us. That's right. So, 2005, I started with Creation Gardens. And um, I feel like that was back in the day, but we had nothing. And it was all those people I first called, I was working with Sean Brock in Capitol. Oh, back in those days, yeah. But uh, I would, you know, but I would just go crazy and it was so much fun. You were talking about 2007 when you kind of right after you opened all those chefs. I was in the middle of working with all those chefs at that time and it was a really fun time. And how, when they opened the Eastland Cafe and it was just a, it was a, it was kind of a golden era. It was, it was a golden really era, man. fun time for yeah. two and a half years until 2008, 2009. That's a golden era. We would, I mean, it was back when Jim Myers was writing the Tennessean and he still had the blacked out face and would rip you if you, you know, <laughs> rip you in a professional way, you know, not, not with some vendetta, but you know, I spoke to Margo, Randy Rayburn was uh, an amazing mentor for all of us, like just in business, like. I had a parking lot issue. This lady, I won't get into the details of it out of Nolensville, but I only had nine parking spaces in my original spot, and people would overflow in this lady's lot. And she really wanted me there, but she had to tell me she didn't want me there because she didn't want the liability. So we had to get insurance. I couldn't afford insurance with this lady's freaking five-acre lot over here, and uh, only which an acre was parkable. But uh, Randy... That was the first time that I actually talked to Randy and like, he didn't just like give me some advice. I literally went down to Sunset Grill. I was like, is Randy here? It was on a Friday night. I didn't know who else to reach out. I don't know who could help me. 
and um, I'm gonna say I was around 08, 09, and he was very paternal, like immediately, like just, I will help you, whatever, and then followed up and kept following up. And in those same relationships with all the other names that were mentioned, like he, the old, the old guard restaurant crew here back then was very kind to all of us young whippersnappers coming up at the time. And, well, they're the ones who are the they, they created this this culture of we all support each other. That's that is absolutely true. I do a segment on my Friday show called the Local Legend, and I highlight a restaurant that's been around for ten plus years every single week. We had Randy on two weeks ago. And we talked to Randy just about what is it that makes your staying power. And when I I feel like all the new restaurants get all the love, so we want to support the people who created what this is, and uh, it's been it's been really good. We've enjoyed it. Yeah, but. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I like to end every show. I give the guest a open mic to say whatever they want to the city of Nashville. We've got we're listened to in 14 countries now. So not not in mass amounts, but I have 14 countries that have listened to the show. It's very easy. Stop politicizing this freaking virus. All right. Just let's all get on board. Let's slowly and methodically get through this. And we'll be turn off Fox and CNN, and just let's just let's just get through this together. Amen. That's that's if they could do that, I would be ecstatic. But thanks for having me. Though. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah. All right. I want to say a big thank you to Pat Martin for coming on Nashville Restaurant Radio today. Hope you, the listener, enjoyed that episode. If you did, please hit subscribe on however you are listening to it, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Also, if you enjoyed it, please hit the five-star button. Uh, please leave a review if you if you enjoyed the show. If you did not enjoy the show, send me a message. Let me know why. I'd love to know. Um, send it to me at um, any of our, our, our socials, at Instagram, at Nashville underscore restaurant underscore radio or on our Facebook page at Nashville Restaurant Radio. And if you didn't know, we now have a TikTok page. And on the TikTok page, we are um, putting out our chefs and restaurant owners reading one-star reviews. So they're coming out there first before we put them out. We will have a new all-barbecue edition coming out this weekend. Thank you for listening. Hope you're being safe out there. Love you guys. Bye.